0: today will be no different. Why, why should it be different? I mean, you know, a lot of stuff going on in the world. Le- yeah. I mean, you've been like reading what has been mm-hmm. going on and more know, like, like watching Russia, Ukraine, Mm-hmm. long range missiles. You know, I was thinking about that on the way here. What? That. You know, when we talk, you know, I talk about how 96% of market returns occur in 0.9% of trading days historically. Mm -hmm. So that works out to about two and a half, less than two and a half days per year. Give you all the stock market return. And, you know, and now I was also talk about how you can't, you can't predict the future. You cannot figure out where things are going to go, when things are going to happen. And it's like, this whole Russia-Ukraine thing has been dragging on for so long. You just kind of wonder, when is that going to break? Exactly. I, I have like no, everyone. I have no clue. And you think that that is going to have some kind of a major impact on world economics. Then you've got China in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. you got the that wild card. But then you've got... The thing that you know, everybody's talking about China, 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 and you know, they, they it was all on everybody's minds, and manufacturing, and now it's India. That is the big thing right now. That India, India, is, yeah, India is actually looking like they are going to be the big manufacturing center in the world. I was reading that in the I think Do they have the, room? the Economist. Um, that's a large, country. I, I it's think a large that, I country, think, but do they have room? I think There's the big, like I think point. the biggest, well, I think the biggest issue is having the know-how and apparently they do that point, and, you know, oh, so well, that, that okay. is, that's going to be a big deal. So I, am fascinated with how things are changing there. And then of course now with the U S you know, with our control of our software out around the world, you know, it's like, we have a little bit of control that I don't think most people really recognize you know, as far as protective, when it comes down to software, and, and you know, people think we're we're very vulnerable, and we are in many ways, but we are actually kind of uh, in control in many ways. So, I think that's going to be interesting to watch as time goes on. And um, man, there's just so much stuff going on in the world of uh, of finance. I had an, I had a meeting this week. I want to start off and talk a little bit about this. I actually was talking to somebody this week. I was talking to a group this week and uh, and then talking to individuals after. So I think I'm going to mean – I may just take some of what I had talked about with them and bring it to you because I think it, it's really helpful. A lot of times people – investing confuses the crud out of them. I mean it's just like there's so much to know. I don't get all this stuff and – and what I did was, you know, in so many 401k plans, so many retirement plans at work, you know, 4.3Bs, 4.57, so no, no matter what, uh, which, which one you have, this is going to apply. But uh, one of the things that we find is that target date funds are winning the day as far as the retirement plan, as far as, you know, people choosing them, and I'm not a big fan, and I've talked about that before. I'm going to give you a little bit more detail than I normally give, because when you see What is going on inside of them? You'll go, oh, my gosh, that's crazy. Uh, But what I was talking about to this group, we were just talking about diversification. And I said, you know, typically I said, and we we manage their, I, I manage their 401k at the company. And one of the things I said is one of the things that I will not bring to you and I do not bring to you is I don't have target date funds in your 401k plan. And you may wonder why, you know, everybody else seems to have them. Why aren't you doing it? and i says well it's a diversification issue and then i says you know you got small companies you got large companies you know small companies 83% of the time have a higher return in 20 year periods if you look at all your 20 year periods small companies have outperformed large companies and 96% of the time value companies have outperformed growth companies so you have these four quadrants you know large growth large value small growth small value that those four quadrants and you have it in the US internationally and in, in emerging markets well One of the things I talked about is how they concentrate. And and I say they because, you know, I did a, uh, I was actually talking through what uh, you typically see. And there are 51 mutual funds out there. There are 51 different funds out there that are target date funds for the year 2040. So you're retiring in 2040. That's where, you know, you invest. You just put your money in that. And I did an average detail on it just for the fun of it. And what I found was that overwhelmingly the money is in U.S. stock in these plans. 46% of the money on average is in U.S. stocks, 25% in international for that retirement year, 19% in bonds. If you look at the amount of money that's in large companies, it is, uh, let's see, I do the math here quickly, 50, uh, 71%. 71% of the money is in large companies. Only about 9% is in small companies. So you look at that and go, wow, it's really skewed to big companies. Now, it's skewed, if you look at it, of that amount of money that's in there, most of the money, more than ter- well, well more than two-thirds of the money that is in large companies are in core, what are called core and growth. So that's where I would expect less return is in core and growth. And, you know, I said those quadrants, those four quadrants. Of those four quadrants, where you would expect the lowest long-term return would be the bottom left quadrant, which be large and growth if you actually draw out what's called a three-factor model. And that's, you know, what uh, won the Nobel Prize in 2013. So you look at that and go, well, wow. So most of the money, the vast majority of the money is in large companies, and over, well, over two-thirds of it is in core and growth, where you would expect the least return. You go, that just doesn't make any sense. But, you know, that's what they do because of familiarity. And I said, how do I explain this to these guys that are not, you know, they're not investment people? What do I come up with as a metaphor to explain this concept? So what I did was this. I said, okay, now let's, uh, I'm going to use an example that I used in my book. Uh, confident investing. And I said, so in my book, I have this thing and I said, Hey, we're going to have a race and you are, we're going to start the race. But here I'm going to start the race in a little different way than I talk about in the book. I'm going to start the race in Southern California and I'm going to start it there. And I'm going to tell anybody you can come from all around the country to engage in this race. You know, so I, and I'm just going to break it down to four people showing up just to keep it really simple. And they can take whatever vehicle they want to engage in this race. So one person shows up with a race car. One person shows up with a snowmobile because they think it's going to be a snowy course, right? Then another person shows up with a motorcycle. And then another person shows up with a dune buggy. I said, so imagine the race starts and bam, they don't even know where they are. They were just dropped blindfolded in Southern California, right? And then what happens is they take off on the race. And, of course, they're in Southern California. What is it? Pavement, dry, nice weather. The race car takes that leg of the race. So the race car wins that leg of the race. But it's not too far before you get into sand and desert. And now the dune buggy is taking that leg of the race because the dune buggy is able to fly over the sand and the race car just gets bogged down and the motorcycle does and the snowmobile is kind of you know, – it's lost. Uh, and, and then what happens is then you get to – maybe you're into the mountains and, you you know, if you've ever flown over the U.S., you see that a lot of mountains out there. And you're into the mountains and now you're swerving in and out of trees. And you're going back and forth, and you're going up, and you're going through narrow passageways. So, you know, of course, the motorcycle is going to take that leg of the race. And then eventually you get maybe up north, and it's snowing, and you're going to be winning on the snowmobile. That's going to be winning. And I said, that is what the world is like. You know, the world is all different terrains. And if we look at the economy and economics we have all different terrains out there when it comes to economics. If you're a really big company, you're going to do well when economies of scale. And I use the example that I like to use of like, like Walmart buying thousands and thousands of hammers where Joe's, hard, Joe's hardware store buys, you know, six. And, you know, what happens is when you're really big, you can get price discounts and things like that. And, and there, there are benefits. There can be benefits to being big. But then there can also be problems with being big because when the economy is changing rapidly, you're trying to move a battleship and turn it versus, you know, turning a boat, a small boat. You know, it's it's a big difference. So when you're dealing with smaller companies, you you may find that the smaller companies and they're innovative, they come up with new ideas and they find out. And especially, you know, it's really interesting because as time goes on, you know, back in, gosh, 100 years ago, if you wanted to run a company You had to come up with a ton of money in order to start the company. You had to have large infrastructure costs. You know, so hence what would happen is it would preclude a lot of people from actually getting into a competitive business. Whereas now, I mean, good grief, you know, right? Uh, You can start a business with next to nothing in capital in a lot of different industries. You know, because there are infrastructure that you can use and borrow from elsewhere, and then, you know, you can kind of use uh, computerized systems and, and you know, and integrate them into whatever you're doing. So, you know, you look at that and go, well, sometimes it's really, really great to be a small company. And then sometimes it's really great to be a value company. Now, a value company, you know, by definition would be a distressed company. But then a lot of times they're stodgy companies, and you know, I when I say stodgy, I just mean that they're kind of old world. You know, they're not exciting. Uh, a lot of your growth companies are going to be your technology companies. And matter of fact, that's another interesting thing going on right now is AI. Right? The, the talk about AI has been dying down a little bit, but there are some new things out there that are coming as uh, better ways to use AI. So it's not that it's dying down; they're not using it anymore. It's what's happening. Some of the Previous methods of using AI are starting to die off a little bit and better methods are coming. And, uh, you know, that, that'll happen. I mean, you look at it and say, if I can't trust something, and I, and I gave the example here on the show where I was actually doing research on something and found this art, this article said, hey, this is the data on what you're looking for. And here were the articles that you might, that we pulled the data from. And here were the conclusions of the articles. And, and I went and read those articles And actually, I came to a totally different conclusion than what AI did. So, you know, as time goes on, you have to weed that out because nobody wants to use anything that will give them inaccurate information. And that's really what's going on. I think it was in The Economist or something like that. They were talking about how these new methods are coming in and some of these things are, are actually starting to happen. It's going to be the next interesting wave. Who's going to win? God only knows. I, nobody knows really who's going to win and, and come back with something, the better mousetrap. But better mousetrap, somebody's going to come up with it. But... Um, Anyway, so, you know, these value companies are more distressed. So what happens with those companies is that, you know, there are times when, you know, technology isn't moving forward. You know, like, for example, you go through recessions. Look at the 2000 market downturn, 2001 market downturn. Value companies actually went up. When you had technology stocks over that three-year period dropped down like 80% so you wanted to own value but the problem was that most people didn't own it because in the late 90s all anybody could talk about was technology and it was like wow look at the new stuff coming out man this is really really cool and by the way that's also interesting when it comes down to you know government debt and government deficits uh we actually went into a surplus during that period of time because there was so much economic growth in the late 90s and and it was the concern of the time, which every you know, I tell people this, and they think that's really weird. We were worried about paying off the national debt, because we use the national debt as a as a tool to actually help control interest rates to some extent, so that we don't go into these crazy, crazy growth spurts and then crazy, crazy downturns that you know, used to plague us in in the nineteen or in the eighteen hundreds. You know, we used to have these depressions where commonplace i mean literally it was you know the economic swings were terrible and we don't see those huge economic sw- swings today because they're you know they're that's part of the reason as much as people pick on the fed they they have been actually successful at helping control the swings to some extent it's not a perfect science though uh it's really it's a very in imp- it's a dismal science is actually what they call economics uh that's that's normally what it's referred to but anyway, so what happens is that those value companies can be absolute lifesavers, you know, when it comes to a market downturn. And then you've got small companies and, you know, smaller, smaller companies that are value companies, they have their times. I mean, man, you look at the past 20 years, that by far, that is the top returning asset category. When's the last time you heard somebody sit there around talk about small value stocks? They just don't. And yet, you know, when when I'm investing and putting together a portfolio, that is one of the top holdings in the U.S. side of the portfolio that I would hold and is the top holding in international portfolio. Uh, and, and why? Because it's where we expect greater return historically. You know, so you look at these target date funds and you go, well, OK, so they're not quite doing that. So I said, now here's what's happening. You got this race. And I want to go back to the race analogy. So you'll have times when, you know, when you have this race between this race car, motorcycle, dune buggy, and snowmobile. And there'll be times when it is just the economy is going to be snow and the snowmobile. So imagine you're investing money any in e- and you're betting, quote-unquote, on any one of these vehicles. And if you decide to bet on everything on the vehicle that just had the best performance— which if you started the race out in Southern California, it would have been the race car. Then you would have been really sunk when you hit the desert, right? Literally. You know, so this is what happens with investors is they get really excited about something because they hear about, you know, three, five, and 10-year track records, and then they jump on board, and then all of a sudden that thing falls to heck in a handbasket, and they're going, what hit me? And that is... What we often find happens. I mean, target date funds were incredibly unpopular in 2009, 2010, 2011, even to like 2012. I found that they were very, very unpopular. And I was saying, you know, people would come in and I'd go, well, I'm glad you're not using that fund. We don't want to use that fund. We want to diversify better than that. We'll be diversified. And, you know, then what happens is you'll have these, these little spurts in time where large U.S. growth companies outperform other areas, like take this year, you know, where you have AI comes in. And then those companies that are artificial intelligence, those companies that are technology do well. And then all of a sudden people get all excited about them again. That's what's happening right now is people are getting excited about them again. And I think that's, uh, that could be one of those things they look back and go, oh, what was I thinking? And you know, usually the problem is people aren't thinking. <laughs> they're not thinking about it because they're just buying based on historic performance, their instincts and their emotions drive them to buy whatever just did well. You know, So this is what we find when we invest is we wanna make sure that we're really well mixed between these various areas because there are gonna be periods of time when one rockets up and another one doesn't as well. Now, another question that came up You know, is is asset mixes as we age, And, and that's one of the things that target date funds are designed to do is actually add more bonds as you age. But the big critique of them in the academic world is this, is that they add bonds too fast and too much. And the reason they tend to do that is because of investor psychology. There is this research on older investors, a really, really good article written uh, by a securities attorney this week. I don't know if I've got it with me. Uh, If I don't, I'll I'll cover it next week. But he was talking about investor psychology. As people age, what happens quite often is their cognitive abilities, like it or not, start to wane. And then what happens is they tend to get far more conservative than they should for their own good and they're trying to protect themselves and they actually end up taking risks that they didn't intend to take which is not having enough equities in the portfolio and then they have great inflation risk and that's what sinks them in retirement and uh, there was actually a really good article about that too. I'll get to that before the end of the hour as well. It was uh, just in regarding the big surprises that people have in retirement, and one of them is how the portfolios perform when they're looking at market downturns and and how they uh, run the portfolios down a lot faster than they thought they would because they don't take enough risk. They don't take enough market risk. They take too much inflation risk, which means they're investing too much in fixed income and bonds. But um, yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm actually gonna run. I'll take to I'll do this. I'll take a quick break. And I'm actually going to run through one of the more popular target date funds and actually walk through what's going on that inside, inside that portfolio. And when you hear it, you'll go, what on earth are they thinking? And my answer will be, I don't know that they are. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the investor coaching podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye, and financial planning, tax laws constantly changing, and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything that we do is fee-only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing, and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call, and we look forward to seeing you soon. All right, back here on the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler here talking about the money invest. There it is. There it is. There it is. Okay, I found it. Right in mid-sentence, he finds the article he's looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there it was. It was tailoring advice for the elderly brain was what it was. Yeah, Dan Sullivan, he's a securities attorney, actually. um, He was in a documentary that I was in years ago, and it was on navigating the fog of investing. And he wrote this article talking about, I love some of his quotes in that documentary. It's like, He's, he's cross-examining financial advisors and he says, so, you know, what were you thinking? I was looking at the market, you know, and they would like blow up their por- their clients' portfolios and, and you know, because investment advisors and, and managers and mutual fund companies routinely engage in market timing and sometimes it's more egregious than others. But, you know, he would ask them, what were you looking for? You know, <laughs> and it's like, and they're speechless. You know, they don't know what they're looking for. They're trying to time the market and try to figure out when it's going to go down. But the problem is the market going down or going up is completely just random based on news that comes in. And you can't, if you can predict the news, you, you got it, but not exactly. But anyway, it says, um, as we uh, as we age, brains undergo various structural and functional changes. Uh, and it is, the the size of the brain actually decreases as we age and both the gray and the white matter, uh, those areas are impacted. So a lot of times what happens is we have these thought processes that start to they're stymied to some extent. We're not able to actually think through things, make decisions. Our wisdom actually goes up, which is I always tell people that's the cool part. You know, as getting older, your wisdom gets better. But a lot of times our ability to make really good decisions, we talked about this a few weeks ago. There was an age at which you make your best financial decisions. And it typically is like late 40s, early 50s, somewhere in that neighborhood. That's where we make our best decisions. And typically that's where most of our new clients come from. They've been burnt so many times when they're younger. They made bad decisions when they were younger. And then when they're older, they just don't often – a lot of times they get into fixed income investments more than they should and so on and so forth. But that's one of the things he talked about is reduced risk appetite. This is older adults – May become risk adverse due, due, due to, excuse me, neurological shifts affecting decision making processes. They might favor more conservative investment opportunities, even if they can't, or if they can afford to take more risk, or they need to take more risk. And he says another study found that overconfidence caused a lot of older investors to take excessive risk. And I found that before. I found that sometimes people call me up and go, "Hey, Paul." Uh, You know, I've got this asset mix that's 60% stocks, let's say. And can we jump up to 75 or can we jump up to 95? I don't like bonds. And I just shake my head and go, you don't realize how big of a risk it is and how little of an additional return you might expect out of that. You would think that there'd be a huge difference in return expectation. But the reality of it is it isn't that big. Now, if you're looking at 40, 50 years, your time horizon, that difference in expected return can actually uh, turn out to have great impact on your accumulations, because you, know, you take a 1% or a 2% return difference over a 40-year period, it's a big deal. But if you look at a person's life expectancy that's maybe, let's say, 70, 75, something like that, the additional 1%, 2% return is not that big of a deal, but the risk is a huge deal. You know, so going and putting more money into stocks because you feel bulletproof is maybe not the greatest idea <laughs> as you get older, then you have cognitive delays with processing speeds reduced. Older individuals take longer to understand financial products and strategies. And this, that's the irony of it to me. That's one of the things he said in the article. The irony of it to me is that if you look at how they actually invest and what they're investing in, quite often it's indexed annuity products and things like that. Well, I find that the financial advisors selling the things, they're in their 30s and 40s, don't even really understand how they work. You know, they, they they can speak the language, but when you really get down to market history and how it will affect the product based on design, and a lot of times they don't recognize that the products are put together based on what would have worked over the past 10 years, which is great if the past 10 years actually repeats itself. You know, it's great. Oh, you know what? You know, what, what worked over the past 10 years? perfectly is this investment strategy? And then they come up with a product that would have worked perfectly over the past 10 years. And then you go, well, you know, next 10 years, probably going to be a little bit different. I mean, there are different people in charge. The economy is different. The world's different. And yet they put out a product that would have worked in the past. But because most people don't really recognize how the products are put together, they fall for it. And then you have memory decline. And this is something that you know, quite often what we do is have people we I use a lot of website work, you know, where we're having access to investment things and, and I have a lot of video work that I put online so that if people forget things, they can go back and re-listen and relearn and relearn and relearn. And I tell people, you know what? It's just good to go refresh your memory on these types of things. And quite frankly, it's one of the reasons I do the radio show is because it's a way to get a constant reminder of why we do what we do, you know, as investors, why why we follow certain investment principles and what the logic is. And I use the news of the day so as to bring in news, but go, hey, look, this is how the news has affected the investment markets. And, oh, isn't that interesting? It's kind of what we said 10 years ago or <laughs> 20 years ago. Uh, not that we predicted the news, but that we said this is what we ought to do based on how news changes markets. So it's it's all part of it. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one.